Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. And today we go down to Juneau, Alaska. We've been in Anchorage all week and now we're in Juneau and we're visiting with Marion Call. We'll talk with her after I talk with you about this. I was talking to a friend of mine about my brother's couple's workbook called Two Years After Forever. It's sort of a how-to guide to improve your communication skills, which, as anyone who's any relationship knows, is crucial. So as we spoke later in the conversation, I mentioned the book again, Two Years After Forever is the name of the book. I told you my brother wrote, she interrupts me and says, oh, your brother's book. I thought you meant a book you borrowed from your brother. Three little words, my brother's book, two different interpretations. In two years after forever, there are exercises that help you form better communicative skills to avoid pratfalls like that one. Along with your partner, learning and applying these exercises help you get back on track to why two years ago you pledged a life together forever. Two years after forever.com. Two years after forever. Available at Amazon today and forever. And we're with Marion Call. Hi, Marion Call. Hello. I'm so excited to meet you and talk to you. Absolutely a pleasure. I'm so happy I, you're talking to Alaskan musicians. <laughs> oh, I am blown away. I did an interview that will air next week with a friend of mine from Arkansas and was telling him just I'm drawn now to Alaska. Hey. I have to spend some time up there. Except I, up. I don't know where to go because Juno is like 18 hours away from Anchorage. <laughs> and you can't even get there from here. We're not connected by road. We're not connected to anything by road. You want to come to Juno? You got to. There's only three ways. There's uh, by plane, by boat, and by birth canal. So <laughs> <laughs> to steal a local that. cheesy line. That's a great line. I, I yeah. had heard that several times though, that, that there's so many pilots in Canada. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, and, 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 and well, Canada and, and Canada. Alaska. Yeah. We're Canada's about 15 miles that away from here, right. even though, you know, and yet we could never get there. It's a huge ice field and mountains between us and BC. But, uh, but there are besties there right next door, you know. Yeah. Uh, the closest major urban center, really, for us is Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory. So that tells you wow. kind of. That's a lot closer than How Anchorage. How big is that, the Yukon Territory? Oh, Do you have any idea? It is like half the continent. Oh, geez. Whitehorse yeah. is, I don't know, maybe 80, 100,000 people. I'm probably wrong. I'll have to look no, it I up. I was thinking the whole territory, the whole Yukon. Oh, that's, geez. That's, that's half the, I don't know. Let me look. The, Let me look. I think okay. that's half the country of Canada, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No. Uh, it's actually not as big as BC, I think. Um, oh, really? BC okay. is bigger than the Yukon. Uh, and the Yukon's not a province okay the total population of the yukon is forty-four thousand people and it is the smallest and westernmost of canada's three territories so and it is so much fun if you have ever been no to yukon kidding. man they know how to party i have a great time every time i go to whitehorse awesome so, cafe is awesome food awesome people so the canadians are kind of our closest neighbors in Juneau. Uh -huh. we're down in the panhandle down in the twisty islandy part of the southeast coast of alaska so that's like if anyone listening has ever been on a cruise they've probably come through Juneau. uh and anchorage uh, i lived there for 10 years before i moved to Juneau. Oh, really? you've been talking to a bunch of anchorage folks mm -hmm. that's yeah. the biggest city in alaska it's about three hundred thousand people and that is 
uh, about an hour and a half flight from here. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you want to drive, you have to take a ferry for about seven hours and then you can take a car for about 12 My and then goodness. you get to Anchorage. <laughs> and bobsled for another 20, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. There are, are plenty a- of towns here that you legitimately reach by dog sled or by snow machine. Did you which is get, what we call a snowmobile up here. Did you go oh, snow machine? They, yeah, you say snow machine. If you say snowmobile in Alaska, people know you're from out of town. That's so funny. I got to remember these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a native Alaskan? Well, native Alaskan here would mean indigenous Alaskan. And so instead oh, okay. we'd say born and raised. Um, so you got there. Because I'm, I'm a white folks uh, for sure. Uh, I'm from the Puget Sound area. Okay. And I moved to Alaska in 2003. So this is my 20th Alaskaversary. 20th Alaskaversary. I love that. Yes, and, I'm very excited. <laughs> and because the indigenous population is so big, you said white people. Is that how you were referred to? I white folks, visitor, colonizer. Um, colonizer. Uh, colonizer, affectionate. You know, like, uh-huh. uh, yeah, we're when people say, I think if you're in Missouri and people say, you know, are you native Missouri? People might not think first of like uh indigenous folks or native americans but in alaska it's definitely front of mind because here this that'll be like our co-workers and our neighbors and our buddies and just like mm-hmm. people our friends downtown you know folks that i make music with folks that i work with all the time and that means it's much more present in your mind just all the time so speaking of music folks because this week we've talked with four different people from anchorage Tell me about music different in Fairbanks versus Anchorage. What's the music, or is it similar? What's the music scene well, like Juno, in Fairbanks? Juno, I'm sorry. Fairbanks. <laughs> That's all right. I, no, no, I brought up Fairbanks because I wanted to say this. All the people, it's so hard to get in touch with people from Alaska. And then it was like a floodgate that opened. Oh, yeah. And I, and I still <laughs> haven't talked to anybody from Fairbanks. So that's oh. my mission for season two. I'm going to get somebody from Fairbanks and somebody from, from Sewell. <laughs> That's right. I'll I'll hook you up. Don't worry. We got some great bands in Fairbanks. Yeah, I love I love it up there, man. It's the cities and and communities in Alaska are so different from each other. And but people here, a thing that people here have in common is a kind of like uh, sort of a relaxed approach to things mostly like we're we're mostly casual we we know that like if we want to go have a big you know break big make it music career in the traditional sense we know we're probably gonna have to go outside quite a bit mm-hmm. you know we'll have to you know spend some time and move to LA move to Nashville move to New York for a while there are certain kinds of music career you can't have here but there's a huge variety of kinds of music career you can have here and I did the kind where I tour a lot and I make a lot of records and, mm. but I really wanted to stay in Alaska. I really wanted to keep living in Alaska. You know, that's expensive. That's hard. Cause every time you want to travel somewhere or tour, you are buying this extra plane ticket. You got all this extra infrastructure. You can't take a car out. Cause even from Anchorage, it's a four or five day drive to get to Seattle. At the same time, if you're creative and you're flexible and you're relaxed and you are enthusiastic about what you're doing and meeting people, then, you know, there are ways to make it work. So that's kind of what I did was just like shuffling on as a little indie artist for a very (laughs) long time. I would tour about half the year and I would uh, make records the rest of the year, basically, and travel around Alaska. We're doing an audio only so people can't see how young you are. Oh, I'm I'm very flattered. Thank you. You, you I'm 40 this year. I was going to say, you look like you're in your 20s. Well, thank you. And and Uh, to be touring and and doing what you have done, 
there's there's just no way you've been doing this since you were nine. So well, I've, I've had very little sun exposure up oh. here, at least hot sun exposure, right? The yeah. the the air in Alaska is very good for your skin. That's, um, no kidding. Okay. So how long it have is you in been... Juneau anyway? It rains here all the time. How long have you been doing music uh, guest professionally or even semi pro? When did you get into the Ooh. music bug? What got you first? Were you a singer? Were you a songwriter? Were you a pianist? Were you a guitar player? What was your your first musical encounter that you remember? Goodness sakes. Well, my parents are musicians, so my first paying music gigs were like when I was five. Uh -huh. um, I was already ready to go you know, hang out with them wherever they were. If they were playing a wedding, if they were playing at a church or a memorial or a community event, like I was just mm -hmm. there with them and, and started singing with them pretty early on, you know. People were think they, it's cute to have the 10-year-old like sing harmony with mom at the wedding, right? You know? Were they so. professional entertainers when you were growing up then? Or did they, yeah, like a lot yeah. of us, have other jobs and we did this too? I They they both, I mean, uh, I mean, my father was a school teacher, but also he taught music in the schools back when they had, you know, plenty yeah. of full-time music teachers. He was choir, choir and band director when I was in middle school. I was in his classes, right? And so oh, it fun. really was kind of music all the time um, in my household growing up. My mom's a flute teacher and artist. She also organized, we didn't have any string program in our schools. We only had the kind of uh, like band with sort of brass and winds instruments. And mm -hmm. so she created a string program. And now there's still, uh, I think in the community where I, gr I grew up, there's a, a kind of string orchestra that's a, a local nonprofit. So she she founded that. So yeah, it was just music all the time in my household. I I remember being a small child and just sitting under the piano at wedding after wedding after wedding as they played all weekend, right? <laughs> so I got used to the gigging life very early. We well, said singing at five, you said choir. So I'm guessing your first- Lots of singing. Your yep. first uh, instrument was this, your voice, right? And that's always been the one that I am most enthusiastic and, and about and professional about. I uh, did study piano- didn't make it too far, but you know, can can fake it for a few bars. Right. I studied uh, harp growing up, really? actually, which was a lot of fun. But it's it's a lot to tune a harp. Sitting down and tuning a harp when you're in middle school is a it's a big ask for your. There's a, a a duo <laughs> that hails from the Chicago area that has come to Vermont, and I saw them in St. Louis just a few months ago, called the Harp Twins, and they're twins, Ooh, and their cool. their heritage is Swedish or Norway Norwegian or something. They're twins, long blonde hair, blue eyes, and now they're touring with two gentlemen that are doing like Nordic percussion. Oh, cool. That oh sounds my gosh. fun. It is so much fun. I want to get I, them up here. That'd be great. <laughs> I would love to get them on the show. They just, but we're booking some guests into season three and season four. And they're, you they're, sure have set out an ambitious, uh, ambitious show for yourself. Uh, what what really else are you cool. going to do when you're retired, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, their manager, uh, says that they don't plan that far in advance. So we're going to try and work something out to get them on because they're just so much fun and they're harp players, but they don't just play like Gaelic or traditional Scandinavian or Norwegian. They play uh, Highway to Hell. They'll play Metallica. They'll play Zeppelin on the harp. Just amazing. So much fun. And raising, oh, our, raising our daughters when we were raising our kids, there was a place in St. Louis. We used to go on Sundays for brunch and there was a harpist there. Oh, yeah. And it's a went, special, special oh instrument. God. It's yeah. impossible. I mean, I study the piano the way I study the harp. I study it like this. I look back and go, so that's a harp. <laughs> <laughs> look at all those strings. That's just the extent of my studying. So yeah, piano, harp. Yeah, that's you funny you bring up uh, playing, you know, Highway to Hell on the harp, because that was, uh, I was 
lucky in that I think that when I was growing up still, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there was still a very clean line between like popular art and like classical or fine mm-hmm. art or jazz or, you know, the, the, the distinguished and respectable arts and then like the pop music, like there was a hard line between those still. I think that's really evaporating now. And I'm very happy about that. You know, this, the, that was a distinction that really had a lot to do with class more than anything else and, and race probably. And like, looking back now, I feel lucky that my parents played classical music and they played jazz, but they also were playing weddings. So they were playing, you know, love songs, sometimes great love songs and sometimes flocky love songs they hated, yeah. but they were playing them because that's what the, you know, bride that's and groom what... asked for. Yeah. And they would play, you know, church services where they're doing very like Gregorian chant or or motets or things like that. And then they would, you know, at the end of the church service, they break out some rock music. And like <laughs> that was, that was a really positive situation to grow up in because I grew up very genre neutral, I think. like That's but, very cool though. My training was in classical and jazz, but I knew that as a professional musician, I, since I was tiny, it was like, oh yeah, but they could ask you to do anything at a show and you just have to be ready to do it. You know, if someone Uh wants you to play, you know, a rock song, you play a rock song. If someone wants you to do backup for a hip hop artist, you do backup for a hip hop artist. If someone wants you to break out some Mozart, then you got to be able to, you know, fumble your way through the Mozart. And that was, I, I liked growing up that way because now it equips me to, pick and choose just any pieces of music that I think would be interesting without worrying too much about genre or about, you know, categorization. I've always had trouble when they ask you to categorize your albums or your songs when you, when you publish them of like, what genre is this? And I'm like, I've, there's like seven different ones at least. And sometimes (laughs) in the same song, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea Antoine from Be Bad Productions. Oh yeah. We were talking about this very thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And rap and hip hop coming into church. Oh, yeah. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. When you think of some of the stuff that's Mm -hmm. being played on rap and hip hop stations and underground and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And to have that art form presented, obviously Mm -hmm. cleaned up, but have that presented in a worship service. No way, I said. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they were saying about rock and roll in worship services when I was growing up. When I was growing up, exactly. Yep. I had to, I was teaching a middle school kind of like little one-time enrichment course or something. And the teacher was trying to communicate to the kids what a country song was. And the kids had no idea. Like she would say, well, it has these instruments. And they were like, ah, and, and, and would bring something in that had those instruments, but also that had like a rap break in the middle. And Uh she'd be like, no, 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 that's not it. And just trying and trying to explain to them what genre was. And I'm just sitting there realizing it's less and less important to them yeah. you know and because the the question of the content and the question of the sound are totally different so i decided to do a lesson the next time where i took recordings of uh beyonce's single ladies i showed them the original and then was embarrassed to learn how many of them were not born yet when it came out um but <laughs> <laughs> played the original for them and then played i think uh jukebox I got to remember their name. Don't know. Uh, if it's after uh, the 20th century, I don't know. it. Covers songs in different in vintage styles. Oh, oh, I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And their name is Postmodern Jukebox. Postmodern That's what Jukebox. It is. That's Postmodern it. Jukebox. Yeah. So I played Postmodern Jukebox playing single ladies in Fosse jazz style, like a very specific jazz How era. Cool. And to, to explain like the words and the meaning of the song and the sound of the song are totally unrelated, right? You know, they're mm-hmm. just, this is, this is a way of interpreting a song. This is what a cover song 
song is. You can cover a song in any style. And then I played the Cleverly Brothers doing Single Ladies as a bluegrass, just a ripping bluegrass tune. It's a lot of fun. And to try and explain, you know, the song itself is separate from the interpretation of the song. This, none of this might be relevant, but I just love like, I love growing up in the beginnings of feeling like genre was being uh -huh. chipped away. And now seeing that like young people have a very, very hard time understanding what it is even you know one of the biggest um, eye openers for me in that was uh are you familiar with the civil wars yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. when they covered billy jean yeah yeah it's absolutely like, whoa, it's, whoa. Yep, the song the song content and the song and the style of performance are are quite unrelated you know and so and, I'm, so i'm not going to ask you what style you play well, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and and I've listened to your music and you don't have a style because you play your style. It's what you present. And I was going to ask, like the songs that we're going to be talking about today, there's a few we're going to talk about. Do you play instruments on those? Or are you just vocals? Or are you doing a little bit of both? Or uh, The writing is really the most important part to me and the arranging and producing. Like I, I like singing, but I think I would be equally happy to sort of like write, arrange, and produce for another singer. That'd be fine no with kidding. me. I do love the singing and it makes it work, but the composing is really the most exciting part for me. I went to college for composition uh -huh. and fumbled my way through piano proficiency, but otherwise really just like I, I dove into singing. I was in like five or six choirs and and all different styles and just like focused on learning how the instruments worked and how to use them in arrangements really. And so I never got very good at an instrument, but writing became, you know, my instrument. And uh, I did a lot of orchestration and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of score writing, things like that. So when I turned to songwriting, as I got out of college, the arrangement and the interaction of the instruments, having the, the sections of the song and the structure of the song be interesting, having the lyrics be interesting, like that was really where I sank my teeth in. And so in my albums, you can, I, I feel like I'm just hopping around experimenting sonically <laughs> and lyrically with whatever I feel like. Some of them are comedy. When I do a live show, a lot of it's comedy, honestly. The, and, first, song, the first song I wanted to talk to you about made me think about something. And so this is a good segue here because oh, yeah. <laughs> where your songwriting comes from. And the first song, I Hope My Discipline Improves in Time. <laughs> the, the title alone made me think of an, a songwriter, Jim Steinman. Remember with Jim, Jim Steinman. Steinman? He wrote almost all the meatloaf songs. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He yes. writes, he doesn't write a sentence. He writes a novella in a line. <laughs> yep. He wrote uh, <laughs> Total Eclipse of the Heart for Bonnie Tyler. What's the mm -hmm. one by Air Supply? Every time I look at you, all the rays in the sun go streaming through the waves of your hair and every star in the sky is taking its aim at like, like a spotlight. That's Dang. a Jim Steinman song. Dang. Well, I'm very um, flattered by that comparison. So, <laughs> but what it is, so he writes these long and lengthy phrases in his songwriting. You incorporate words I've never heard in a song before, unless it's a Cole Porter song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm kind of a nerd. So, so and, I, and, and I love that. So I've gone from my, Jim Steinman and Cole Porter were the two connections that triggered with me or, or clicked with me when I, I heard the song mm. the first five times. <laughs> Are you influenced, it's very short. Are you influenced by either of those people? Cole Porter, I would say for sure. And a lot of like uh, Great American Songbook stuff uh -huh. and Broadway, kind of vintage Broadway and probably contemporary Broadway too. Uh, like show tunes were always mm -hmm. a, a thing because, because honestly, I am a huge nerd, right? And my part of why I felt free to write a song like this, I hope my discipline improves in time, is that I, my fan base gradually came to know, hey, this is a nerdy person. I, I cover a lot of um, like novelty songs, like Tom Lehrer. Yeah. Are you 
Are you familiar with Tom Lehrer? No, mm-hmm. he did the the elements and like songs about mathematics and songs about politics and just like oh, very wow. topical stuff, right? Uh-huh. Do you do, are you familiar with Spike Jones? Oh yeah. Yeah, I listened to tons of Spike Jones growing up, just like, how can we be funny with music? And I've loved anyone who can make people laugh by telling the truth about something Uh essentially has always been funny to me. So sometimes for me, that takes like a science angle. And sometimes it takes a confessional angle. And this song was essentially my preemptive apology to no, I haven't looked at your email. I realize it's been too long, but email terrifies me sometimes. And there's too much of it. And it just never stops. Oh, my God. Can I put this feeling into a song, please? (laughs) Just to address Spike Jones, when I leave people sometimes, when I I won't be seeing them for a while, I'll say, so aloha, arrivederci, bon voyage. How do you like that? He didn't even say goodbye. And that's straight (laughs) out of Cocktails for Two. Mm -hmm. Spike Jones, 1930 Mm -hmm. circa, whatever. So oh, that's, that's so cool that uh, you had that influence. I We grew up listening to old time radio because dad would come home with eight tracks and we'd listen to yeah. Don Amici. Who was that? The, the Bickersons. The Bickersons were hilarious mm-hmm. a little later on. Spike. Oh, yeah. And I remember like Bob and Ray and uh, I mean, and Abbott and Costello and all oh, of, yeah, like yeah. a lot of those guys who did comedy also would do musical numbers that were comedic and just yeah and well grew spike up jones that stuff. took comedy and music and put them together in a way that nobody to me has done since i think it was probably more common on stage like in vaudeville kind probably. of shows i bet that was more normal but i feel like less of it's been preserved and like except through kind of broadway-ish like musical satire must have been so much more common back when going out to hear music on mm-hmm. stage was more like it, it kind of precedent to stand up comedy, really. Yeah. And like I, I love Spike Jones because we actually got TV documentation of that. But what a what an art form! And when I see yeah. people continuing it now, often it's like on TikTok or something. You know, that you'll see a direct line from Spike Jones to them, but they probably don't know that, right? <laughs> well, see, I, my background was in radio before oh, yeah. I got in, and so the theater of the mind was a phrase we used a lot. And mm-hmm. the theater of the mind is so created from radio that transition from vaudeville to radio and people like Spike found ways of making those, taking those sound effects and making a song that was funny, making it funnier because you had to visualize yeah. all this stuff. So is oh, that, yeah. uh, I have, or I hope my discipline improves in time. Would you consider that a funny song? Uh, yes. When I'm doing it in the audience, if I don't get a laugh, I'm doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> Coincidentally, I listened to it now because I wrote that in, I think, 2012. And uh, oh, my God, was that 11 years ago? Holy cow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I wrote that song and now I look back and several years later, I got an ADHD diagnosis, which has explained a lot of things. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, so not everyone struggles with this as much as I do. Oh, okay. That that like now listening to the song, I'm like, that could have told me maybe <laughs> that, that I should <laughs> ask for a little help. But then that was before the Affordable Care Act. So it wasn't like I was gonna go see a psychiatrist, musician stuff <laughs> health insurance. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that listening to it now cracks me up even more. But um, when I'm programming a show, a live show or an album, I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. okay, so I need a serious one and then a funny one and then like a mid tempo and then a thoughtful one and then another funny one. Right. You know, and this this is my like upbeat, funny, pick up the mood just after a ballad tune, you know. So you actually construct a show. Oh, yeah. Like programming songs. Yeah. 
Yep. I, I even have a spreadsheet where my songs are have have tick boxes with like, well, this is slow. This is upbeat. This one's funny. This one's about Alaska. This is a uh-huh. holiday song, you know, so I can like, I've oh, I need a ballad now. Which one, which one do I want? So um, I try to be intentional about that. Well, let's give a listen. Let's see how funny your songs are. Oh, or, well, this one, at least. This is, <laughs> no this pressure. Is, no pressure. Well, at least, at least we don't have an audience here holding up, you know, like cards that say, you know, nine, seven, seven, ten, whatever. We're just going to hear it, let the audience hear it, let them have their reaction to it. But it's good to know that it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's kind of a farce, and and it's, it's totally it's, a farce. It's, it's absolutely a farce. It's I'm I'm laughing. I hope you're laughing at me no, or with not, me. But it, what's the Chevy Chase line? We're not laughing with you. We're laughing near you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll work too. <laughs> That's great. Okay. We're with Marion Kauf and a song of hers called I Hope My Discipline Improves in Time. Everything takes longer than it ought to. Everything conspires against my drive Everything breaks when I need it not to Everybody needs another hour of my life And my eyes are maybe bigger than my stomach My optimism cheers, let's take on more And each time I collapse, I'm truly flummoxed As if this hadn't happened 20,000 times before And I've worn out my last day of grace My deadline's up and quit The last minute has disavowed me I'm too late for it And it's all bound to catch up to me A little down the line I hope my discipline improves in time I know I am too weak for my ambitions I know I've faced these demons down before But some amnesia keeps me on a mission some inner lunatic I still have not learned to ignore Forgets how laundry takes up the whole morning How when I skip two meals I hit the wall How the car breaks down without a hint of warning And every single time I know it's all my fault So sleeping I have strangers So my health hangs by a string My feet have grown unwilling My hands and ears just ring And it's all bound to catch up to me A little down the line I hope my discipline improves in time Oh yeah, it's all bound to catch up to me a little down the line I hope my discipline improves in time (laughs) It's It's a fun song. I hope my discipline improves in time. We're with Marion Call from Juneau, Alaska, not Alaxa, as I said earlier. And we're going to be back talking about a couple of more of her songs. But I want to talk about growing up in St. Louis. For me, I grew up in St. Louis and the blues was such a strong influence, has been my whole life. In fact, if you look at one of the logos we use for the Music of America podcast, you'll see this sepia picture of an old Dixieland jazz band called the Alabama Serenaders back in the 1930s. Well, there in the middle on the clarinet with his clarinet pointing up to the gods is my grandfather. So that's the influence blues and St. Louis has had on me. The Soulard Blues Festival really showcases that deep-rooted blues heritage. It's called the B3 Blues Festival, just wrapped up a couple of months ago in St. Louis. It's an outdoor concert festival held in historic Soulard Market, like Beale in Memphis, like the French Quarter in New Orleans, Soulard Market in St. Louis. The Flavors Local Blues Artists, savory tradition of classic blues does and will prevail throughout the day. Even though the 2023 festival is concluded, you know that 2024 planning is already underway. 
And in addition to the great music, they have, it's always going to be about music, but it's also about other art displays. And of course, beer tasting. I mean, you're in St. Louis, right? Gotta have the beer. It's called the Soulard B3, the annual blues festival at historic Soulard Market, St. Louis, Missouri. Check them out on Facebook or check them out on our website. I've got a link to them there if you want to find out more information about them. The Soulard B3. And back with Marion Call from Juno. Loved your song. Can't wait to talk about a couple more because the, the next one I want to talk about is a beautiful ballad. And question I ask a lot of times, I just saw this interview with Paul McCartney and he was telling me, or not telling me, he was telling the audience, he said, uh, telling everyone, <laughs> yeah, telling everybody that I'm trying to think what the song was. All My Lovin' was mm-hmm. the first song he wrote for the Beatles where the lyrics came first. Mm. Everything else mm-hmm. was music. He'll sit down at the piano or pick up a bass or a ukulele or whatever and start strumming things together and puts music together. And then they add, for the most part, up to that point the lyrics. And then he had this one about the lyrics. So I'm always curious about the song writing process for someone who uh, values himself as a writer. What comes first with you? Is it an idea for a song or is it a melody or? Usually lyrics first, or usually a little snippets of lyrics, I think would be the easiest way to put it. It's, it's, let's see. Yeah. Almost always. And once in a while, when I'm lucky, I get a little musical snippet along with a lyrical snippet, Uh but generally I'm a words first and music second person. And the music is a little bit more carefully constructed and less, inspired i'd say 90 percent of the time in part because i just feel like a lot of it's been written and i want to make sure i'm not rewriting uh-huh. someone else's line I, I very often when i do have one of those inspired musical moments like i'll be like oh boy oh boy and then like a couple weeks later i realize that i'm plagiarizing someone and didn't even know it so like right. hence like even when i do have one of those like aha music moments very often i have to rewrite it so i the lyrics though i can be quite confident are going to be original and 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 i can really explore there and uh go wild you know because uh, uh-huh. i can i can i have a little more faith that i'm not going to accidentally write the same thing as someone else with notes there's only 12 of them and you can only use them so many ways and right there's 88 yeah. keys on a piano and that's right a, you know, yeah uh-huh so so you gotta be a little bit more number. careful there I really admire people who have that kind of organic sense of melody I don't sometimes I luck out and I do but for the most part the words are I think where I put a lot of my focus do you go and, out and I tend to have pretty busy chord progressions too. Like I occasionally have been inspired enough to write like a three or four chord song that has a lot of repetition. I think those are actually very hard to write well. Those are, you know, some people call them simple. I think they're actually quite difficult. Uh-huh. My instinct is often to get busy and, and get, have the chord progression be busy and be changing a lot or be, or be changing the harmonic rhythm a lot to just kind of maintain interest. So. That answers my next question, I think, because I was going to see, because you write your lyrics. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you corroborate then on the music, if you turn to your mom and dad and say, hey, come up with something with this, or your friends or your other people that you record with or whatever, and say, I'm stuck here. What can you no, do? No, not, not very often. I have collaborated with people occasionally, but usually it's a lyrics collaboration. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The music, I would say, is more like of a a little bit more of a calculated creation, but uh-huh. generally, I I still do it alone. 
one thing that other people really, really, really contribute is the actual playing. Since I don't play for myself, you can really hear the voice of the instrumentalists coming mm -hmm. through. Like in that last song, I Hope My Discipline Improves in Time, you are hearing the absolutely mind-boggling fingerstyle guitar of Scott Barkin, who just, you know, I give him the chord progression, but he does everything else. Okay. And he is a staggering performer. If you ever have a chance to hear his work, I think he's teaching in Philadelphia now, Pennsylvania originally from New York, but we toured together for many years and he cut that song and like, you can hear his, his playing is just absolutely makes that song work. Right. So yeah. I'm giving them, you know, I'm, I'm coming up with the melody and giving out the chord progression, but I leave a ton of freedom and try to invite the instrumental voice of whoever I'm playing with. Right. Yeah. So there's a line. They're, in... they're usually improvised for the most part. I write string arrangements and horn arrangements when we have really? strings and horns doing anything together more than one, but otherwise it's, these are kind of improvised performances in studio by, by the musicians. If you remember the TV show mash, of course you mm -hmm. might be too young for that, but there's a uh, Charles Emerson, reruns. Charles Emerson <laughs> Winchester is a classic pia uh, piano fan. And there's a scene where a pianist loses an arm. So he has to learn to play everything by the left hand. Mm -hmm. And Charles says this line, it's just brilliant. He says, I can play the notes, but you can make the music. And that's mm -hmm. what it sounded like you just described there with mm -hmm. the gentleman from Pennsylvania. What was his name again? Scott? Oh, his name is Scott Barkin, B-A-R-K-A-N. Yeah. And his composing and his songwriting is also completely fantastic i hope that hope that listeners will take a second to look up his music yeah do you sit down and uh, does an inspiration like you, you stub your toe and you say something or whatever and that's it hey there's a sign a line for a song there or do you <laughs> sit down sometime and say i need to write because you, you talked about a flow chart right you have a flow chart of songs mm -hmm. holiday songs happy songs ballads da, da, da. Do you sit down <laughs> sometimes and say i haven't written a good love song in a long time or i haven't written an inspiration song or whatever and sit down and actually write that? Or do you wait for the inspiration to come to you and then you start writing? I'd say I collect the little inspiration nuggets, kind of like a squirrel, just like as I go. I have, I have you know, notes in my phone. I have like napkins and cards and sheets of, you know, whatever else I was supposed to be paying attention to that I've written scraps on. And every now and then I aggregate those, you know, I collect them into my, into my journal or into a document in my computer, but they really tend not to turn into anything until I do a sit down focus session. You know, and I, I, I will regularly print or write them out and cut them up into little pieces and figure out which ones go together as far as which ones fit together in a song. That's most of the time the way it goes. It's like solving a Rubik's cube. It's a lot of fun. A lot do of the time you, it's an take, intellectual exercise, but do also... This, so do you take like this idea mm -hmm. that, you, that you wrote down on a napkin and yeah. then this idea that came to you while you're eating your cornflakes... Yeah, and put the two of them together and make them work, or find a well, way. Well, rather, I'll take uh, I'll take a hundred little ideas, not all of which are good, uh -huh. um, and I will genuinely cut them up and put them all out on a table and oh. go and try different groupings until I get them to connect, you know, or and uh, that is kind of focused work, or, or or else I'll sit down and go, okay, I'm gonna th I'm gonna flesh this out. I like this idea; it's going somewhere. I'm gonna sit and just like kind of pound my head against the wall until more comes out, right? So there's kind of the two sides of it. I think for for a lot of people, there's the two pieces of it. There's the like flash of inspiration, and then there's the actual work of of turning it into something. And and for me, I'd say it's more more of the second part of the process. Uh -huh. But I, I love editing. I really believe in editing your first ideas for the most part. You know that I think that you have a great flash of inspiration, but after a long time, all your flashes of inspiration start 
to suspiciously sound the same if you don't like push and pull them and tug them and interrogate them and like work on them, you know? I think that that work after the flash of inspiration is really valuable. So I spend a lot of time there. And when I do sit down, especially, especially if I can turn off the internet, you know, if I can get away from, (laughs) if I can get away from distractions, then just sitting down and putting hours in is really the most productive way to write. And I really like writing that way. I tend to have a lot more than I need. Most songs have a cutting room floor of verses that didn't make it in or ideas Uh that didn't make it in or words that got cut. You know, that's, that's, I, I overflow with words and have to kind of pair them back. So You've do noticed you probably a lot of my songs are long. <laughs> well, do you follow a formula though? Because some, because they're not, you know, some songs are long, some aren't, some aren't. The comical songs are shorter. You know, do you do you follow the traditional A B A B? What is it? We were, I was talking to my brother today about a song by Genesis called Abacab. Oh yeah, and, yeah, I, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, and, um, I try to be aware of traditional structures, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that the interest comes in choosing whether you're going to engage them or disregard them or play with them a little, right? Like that, the songs that interest me either use structure in a really interesting and classic way, or they play with it, right? And I I like to play with it. Some of my songs do have a traditional A, B, A, B, you know, C, A, B, whatever right, right. Uh, going on. But I also have plenty that defy structure. I have a couple that are through composed, meaning they're just like nothing really re- like there's there's repeated, you know, maybe riffs or bits, but but nothing really perfectly repeats all the way through. Right. Maybe that comes from a classical and jazz background, really like like uh, feeling comfortable with like, OK, I'm going to write this entire piece and it's OK if nothing repeats and it's OK if it's got sonata form. Right. And everything right. has an exact repeat. Right. It's Yeah. I think you just jazz, pick which one you want. The, the jazz experience that you've had in your life absolutely typifies that, you know, because oh, jazz yeah, doesn't yeah, follow yeah. The, the formula. And when I talked with Engvall about jazz, we were talking, I said, there's, there's two things I like about jazz. When you think it's going to go some way and they do and you go, yeah. And mm-hmm. when you think it's going to go a certain way and it goes entirely different, you go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. There's the satisfaction that comes from your expectations being fulfilled right. really well. And there's the satisfaction that comes from your expectations being thwarted. And like, I think playing with those are that that part of songwriting doesn't interest everyone, but it really interests me playing with expectations. I so. sense a lot of jazz in the few songs that you sent me. And it's, kind oh, of yeah. neat, you know, it's kind of neat to be able to just pick up on that. And I wanted to ask about something fierce. When did that come about and how did that come about? (laughs) Yeah, Something Fierce was my third or fourth record and it's long and it's, Uh it's, I just let it all, I let it all come out. I included everything. I sent everything out to share with everyone. And, and there's a lot of feelings in the record. I call, I call it the divorce album jokingly. Right. You know, that's what I was thinking. It's like, yep. There's a lot mm -hmm, of heartbreak. Just like, okay, this is the one where I get to indulge all my feelings. I'm not. It's and, done so uh, and there's a lot of feelings, you know. Yeah, but the music—they're uh, the good, music, they're bad, they're happy. The music know? expresses. It seems the music expresses a lot of range of feelings as well, mm-hmm. and it goes so well. How you incorporate it—that's why I was I was asking about corroboration earlier because it's to me I picked up on that on on how mm-hmm. the music was complementing the lyrics and the lyrics was complementing the 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 music, mm-hmm. and sometimes that happens in corroboration. Sometimes it doesn't. So yeah. you did that all that on your own, <laughs> right? Uh, in this case, the the this particular song, Anchorage, um, 
despite everything I said about writing in little snippets and then putting them all together or whatever, you know, this was one of those rare songs that really just came out in one piece. You know, it just just flowed in the in the writing of it. And it uh-huh. it uh, I think I did have to work the music a little bit to make sure I wasn't plagiarizing either myself or someone else. I forget now. This is a long time ago, but I did have to work the the melody quite a bit. But the song, the, the song as a general concept, chord progression and lyrics uh, definitely all came as one big piece. And this was one of those ones that just felt like uh, you're bearing your soul. You're just being honest and out mm. it goes, you know, um, that off like lighting a candle in a wreath and setting it out on the water, yeah. you know, was kind of how it felt. The music on this one, uh, my father's playing piano. And my sister is playing the cello. So there's a lot of interplay between the vocals and the keys and what I'm doing. And we, I love their performance on this. Absolutely love their performance on this. And it feels, it feels very much like a, like those are the other characters, you know, they're not singing, but those are the other characters in the song. Well, let's hear that. I want to hear that. We're going to play it for you now. The song is called Anchorage. Today, my childish laughter falls away. The stakes were in, and we won't feel okay with a knot of Blind our poor 
into the places we knew our own faces over wine, over coffee and beer. And anchor me, 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 anchor me. Anchorage with Marion Call from Juno. So we've had Anchorage all this week. We go to Juno to talk to somebody, and the song is Anchorage. We can't get out of there. I think the, the, the stars are telling me that I need to get up there, and we'll talk a little bit more about Alaska and get with Marion in a moment, but I also want to talk about a place called Tecumseh, Kansas. If they ever make a movie called Where in the Hell is Tecumseh, Kansas, the answer is going to be easy. It's where you find Monkey House Guitars. Monkey House Guitars is a small made-to-order guitar shop. I don't like to use the word boutique, but it kind of is. If you think it, they can build it. Some of the most beautiful handmade guitars you'll ever see. Meticulously designed and crafted for your specifications. Nothing by machine. Hand-laid frets. Everything routed and sanded in the shop at Monkey House Guitars. The Multiverse Guitar. Singularly, one of the most innovative and interesting guitars I've ever seen being made by watching pictures on Facebook, all done by the hands of Mike Thompson. So Mike would take a picture of the progress of the multiverse, and then it all came together. He's an amazing artisan, Mike Thompson from Monkey House Guitars. Check him out. They don't have a website. They're just on Facebook and just in Tecumseh, Kansas. But it's Monkey House, one word, Monkey House Guitars, Tecumseh, Kansas, where guitars go to be created, right? And we're back to talk a little bit more about music in Alaska with Marianne Call. Do you teach too? I think you alluded to teaching. Oh, you know, not very much. I'm, uh, I do, I like mentoring when I can. And sometimes on special occasions, I'll get an opportunity to like sit in with a classroom for a week or two or something, mm -hmm. do a special project. Right. But it's not a regular part of my job. I'm, I'm very interested right now. As you know, since COVID-19 changes and things, I'm very interested in how I can help uh, mentor or coach or share resources with, you know, other younger artists in Alaska. How do you do music as an Alaskan? Yeah. It's a major challenge. It's a that huge was... logistical challenge. It's a huge money challenge. And people need help. They need advice. They need resources. There's no, you know, there, there's not a lot of... <laughs> They can't walk down to the record store. They can't go check in with their local recording academy chapter, you know, and right. learn stuff. We have to kind of like roll our own and share information with each other. So that's what I'm working on now is like how to make it easier for other people to do the music that they want to do while living here. And that's uh, so a teaching in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it's not very often that I do a teaching in a formal setting or with kids or anything like that. You brought up touring. Mm -hmm. You brought up touring a lot, so I'm. I toured a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that this is what you do. Period. Oh. You make a living as a musician in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Yes, that has been, and that in itself is kind of a story, right? And, and I think for every musician who makes a full time living as a musician uh -huh. in Alaska, that is a story, you know, because it's not easy to do it here, but people still are really creative and resilient and they figure it out. And I want to make it easier. Like I want it to 
I want people to not have to reinvent the wheel because other people <laughs> helped me a lot, right? So right. so there's this internal community dialogue about music that every now and then a bigwig from outside will come visit us and tell us about what we're supposed to be doing with our music stuff or our music scene or how to make sure we're getting all our royalties. And I'm just like, that's great. And it's true. And it's important. And thanks for sharing. But also that really doesn't mean anything up here. You know, that's the, the, the Spotify royalties I will get, even if I have, for me, a big hit are less significant than like a single extra gig at my, you know, a single extra house concert or whatever. So we have to kind of figure out our own ways forward. And anyone here who has had a long time music career will be able to tell you how much creativity and energy it takes. <laughs> it takes a lot to do that in Tecumseh, Kansas. It takes a lot to do that in New York it City. It does, it does. Those places aren't challenged with the geographic issues that you have to deal with yes. in, in Alaska. So That's I the imagine... main thing is the geography. I think Hawaii has similar challenges. And I think right. that there's a few, I think Boise actually has similar challenges. No like kidding. not all of Idaho, but Boise in particular, I think is farther from any other major city than any other city like they you, you have to you that? have to either fly or you have to drive over 12 hours to get to another center where you can play like a show of any size so uh, mm -hmm. so we have a lot in common with hawaii and with boise and with canada too a lot of canadians right. have common experiences but they also have more kind of like state and local support for their music like there's there's music offices and there's required local radio airplay and other things to kind of help them out we have to kind of invent our own resources a lot of mm -hmm. the time the thing is if you are privileged enough to be able to travel a lot that's one way to make it work if you are making the kind of music that you can really repeat all the time or where you're you can like say you're accompanying or you're kind of doing the workhorse musician like gigging and mm -hmm. recording thing you can make it work in a small town if you're teaching a lot you can make that work one of the challenges we have is is like the population size right there's no you can only play so many shows in a town the size of juno it's about thirty thousand people before mm -hmm. people have heard you. And right. I, when I first came, I was like, oh, I'll play like once a month maybe. And then I realized, no, you can't do that. You'll saturate and people get bored. And you have to like limit how often you're playing if you want to charge a ticket or, or you want to charge a fee to see you, right? So like one of the best bands in town would only do one or two shows a year, but they would be big shows with professional lighting and really right. be fantastic, blow everyone away. They would be the social event of the season. That was like their philosophy of how to make it work, you know? For me, like gauging how many times I can play in a small community or how often I can play in a small community is important. And figuring out how to get around the rest of the state, connect with the rest of Alaska. I'm in Vermont. Mm -hmm. I'm in, in St. Louis. And it's not a hard thing to get in a car mm -hmm. from St. Louis, for example, play yeah. several places in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Drive to Columbia, drive to Kansas City, drive to Joplin, drive to Springfield, mm -hmm. all done in a couple of days and tour. The oh, yeah. You can do it on a long and, weekend. And not get burned out and not have people burned out on you. Yeah. It's you can do struggle. it without driving eight hours each way either. You know, you can just exactly. drive a couple hours and. And, uh, and like you, the market, <laughs> I didn't think about market saturation, but if you're playing every three months in Juneau, people are going to stop showing up. Exactly. Exactly. Unless you're doing a different thing every three months, which takes its own kind so of energy and its own. How do you, how do you not max out the other musicians? Cause you know, most people here are not full-time, you know, or if they are full-time right. musicians, they're teaching mostly um, or accompanying mostly. And so how do you not max out everyone's capacity? The, but the thing that we have that's an advantage is just there's this tremendous creativity and willingness and community goodwill. And mm -hmm. like that is, that is really 
key to how and why people keep making music here. So it's it's a it's really a special place. Like I hope you yeah. I hope you do come up. It'd be fun. Fun yeah, to take true. you out to our dive bars or our big concert halls or our whatever, you know. What's people a, are making such creative music up here. What's a Marion Call tour look like? Usually house concerts mostly. Oh no um, kidding. Okay. Yeah, I I really... love house concerts. I they work really well for me and non-traditional venues too. Like I'll be playing in science centers or libraries or or I've played it like I've played at the Large Hadron Collider CERN in in wow. Switzerland. I've played at like aquariums and at uh comet conventions and I like non-traditional venues where people are surprised to hear me because uh-huh. like when I do put myself into a traditional venue, like sidewalk cafe in New York or, or Rockwood or hotel cafe in LA or whatever, you know, you stack me up against, against a bunch of other musicians and I seem more like Spike Jones than ever. I'm just like kind of out of place. Everyone else is trying to be serious and look cool. And I'm like, I do not know how to look cool. I just don't, I don't, I'm too, so I'm too, fun. too Alaska ish. And I'm just too like, I can't care about all that image stuff, even if I try it. I ruin the vibe of the place completely by just being like, yeah, whatever. I <laughs> we've don't talked do the about, mascara. We've whatever. talked about coming to Alaska, and I can't do it without doing a month up there, I don't think. Oh, you know? come hey, it'll be great. You'll have a great I, time. I have a great time. I would love to. I don't um, I don't eat caribou, so you know. Uh, it's a hard to get caribou. You got to kind of, you got to roll your own where that's concerned. So no, you got to live here a while before someone's going to offer you caribou. That's, that's, um, that's, that's what I understand. It is delicious though. My artists that come on the show, send me three songs if they're going to talk about their music. And yeah, I always find one I gravitate toward sometimes. I mean, sometimes I gravitate toward all of them. Sometimes I gravitate toward <laughs> one more than the other. And sometimes there's mm-hmm. one that's just like, and Standing Stones got me. It oh. just got me. I love that song. <laughs> good, That's one of good, those good. songs that it should be played on the radio. It should I be think in so. rotation. <laughs> it should be in rotation at radio stations. And it's such a, just, it's a good song. It's not a hilarious song. It's not a funny song. It's not a crying your beer song. It's just a oh. good song. It's got a good feel to it. It's got karma. I love everything about that song. You know? Oh. God, thank you so much. It's a song about being a musician, so I'm not surprised it resonates with you. Or being like an artist, really, uh-huh. any kind of artist. So like talk making... about that. Talk about yeah, it's that. a song about being a human. So uh, I, I'm not surprised, but it just feels no, no, like... Wait, no, wait, no, you contradicted yourself. You said it's about artists, and then you said human. So... Well, <laughs> artists are good at articulating being human, and there see that, go. I think, as part of our job. And this is about taking that job seriously, I suppose. So it's trying to describe what it means to do that job. And also there's a little bit of an undercurrent of empowerment in it. And there's also an undercurrent of nihilism. And I found this song to be an easy place to like balance those both to be like, I'm going to try my damnedest to make music and make my mark and like leave a legacy and say what I want to say and let my voice ring out, blah, blah, blah. And also in the end, it's not really going to matter and I'm going to be forgotten and everything I do is going to vanish. And that's okay. Like trying to find this place of existential okayness with this. I've been thinking a lot about how and why humans make music. Like uh-huh. what's, what is the point is a, is a thing that you sometimes feel, especially after a year or two of not being able to tour with COVID or like not right, getting to play shows right. very much. It, why do we do this? What's the point? And like, this song is about what the point is. And the point is that even if no one ever hears it, even if it is all forgotten, like the point is, this is what humans do. This is this is a function of our species, the way that mm-hmm. bees do their little waggle dance or that like birds sing territorial 
Aurelia or the way that like we this is a characteristic it's a thing that our species does is to make these noises and to like be heard and to make art like we decorate stuff we just do we have to I was just reading that like some of the cave paintings and petroglyphs but they were they were dated at something like a million years earlier than they originally thought right so like like humans decorating stuff like doing non unnecessary decorations to the stuff surrounding us is just like is a characteristic of being a human and embracing that makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that like the whole mortality thing right it makes me feel a little better about the fact that like so what if someday in a few generations no one remembers standing stones the song it doesn't matter and this song is about why it doesn't matter and that it's okay that it doesn't matter and also this song is sort of a defiant like i'm gonna make my mark anyway i'm gonna make my noise anyway i don't know i think it's really yeah, that was empowering that was, <laughs> that was the word and it seemed like a defiant proclamation i was going to ask that was the phrase mm-hmm. it yeah. seems like it's a defiant proclamation of marion call Yeah, well, yeah. And I like to, when I'm at a show, I make the audience sing along with me. The, the little, the little Uh key line, all we leave are standing stones, all we leave are standing stones. You Uh know, I I have people sing that with me because I think that that's kind of a defiant proclamation for everybody, both to like remember our mortality and also to be proud of what we make and also not to expect it to last and to say that's okay. Like, well, the song is okay. It's a great, okay. It's more than okay. (laughs) Thank you. I worked really, really hard on that one. You can you can just tell when people put (laughs) a lot of themselves into a song. Thank you. I got to shout out the producer of that song, Um, Brian Ray in Austin, Texas, was my collaborator on that album, also called Standing Stones. That album, I'm incredibly proud of the production. On he, I said, I want a snare drum that I want to marry. Like that's, I want the snare sound to be like a sound I could, I could just like live with forever that I want to crawl inside of, Uh you know? And, and he really made that happen. I was so, so, so pleased with how the production on this song came out. And Brian Ray uh, in Austin uh, is really responsible for that. That's great. We're going to give it a listen to it. Now I'm going to listen closer to the snare. (laughs) (laughs) So Marion call from Juneau, Alaska, a song called Stanley Stones. We drew nine lines from east to west We drew nine from north to south And we stitched our names in concrete veins Through miles and miles and miles of ground The solid rock, it does not care If we scratch our names, if we scab and tear If we line and spine and grind it If we dare to try Circles where she went The triangle unlocked for us 
Singing the chorus, standing stones, <laughs> clap and stomp, man. That's right, great song. I mean, <laughs> it it, it's a song good. that would just—it's a showstopper. It's a great bar song. It just—it's just everything. I could. See it is it. really fun life. Yeah, it really, really, really fun. Is. So, Marion Call, Juno, Alaska. Before we say goodbye, this is where you get to just tell us all about where we can see you from. Well, the end of July. For the rest of the year, where you want to be, <laughs> where can, what's coming up, hmm. new projects, where can we buy your music, where can we find your music, where can we see your videos, etc. Go. Oh boy! All right, <laughs> I'm a I'm pretty easy to find if you Google me. Uh, Marion, that's Marion with an A, M A R I A N. Call like a phone call. Uh, look me up. I I uh, I have been floating around the internet for a long time. Um, I am not as much on social media as I used to. That's been a question of mental health. Yeah. And <laughs> so, but, uh, but that said, I am in a songwriting and recording phase right now. So I'm not touring at the moment. I am working on my next songwriting project um, and occasionally auditioning little sneaks of that on my Patreon. So if you are interested, uh, my Patreon can, I'm marrying call. Uh, is where I am and folks there are supporting me through kind of a songwriting phase as I prep my next album. We're talking about doing some recording this fall um, here in Juneau, Alaska. And uh, But you can find my most recent record, which is a five song punk EP uh, called Swears. How fun. <laughs> yeah, I didn't send you any of those ones because they all got F-bombs <laughs> in them. But um, 
But uh, I I wrote that in response to some would say the political climate right now. And uh, you can find that uh, on Spotify and iTunes and everywhere. But if you want my entire catalog, like all the good stuff, all mm-hmm. the all the deep stuff, all the funny stuff, all the you know, if you want the Tom Lehrer deep cuts and the covers and the Muppet songs and all that, um, you can find it on Bandcamp. I have some of my stuff is distributed Spotify, iTunes everywhere, but all the stuff is on Bandcamp. So bandcamp.com slash Marion call or Marion call.bandcamp.com. One of those, uh, there's a lot there. And if you don't know where to start, standing stones and something fierce are a great place to start. And thank you for for Bandcamp. I, I just don't do them enough justice. Oh, they are the one place where, as an artist, I still earn money. And I actually do live streaming concerts on Bandcamp from my living room. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I do. I've done probably, what, I don't know, 12, 13 now. I always do a holiday show with some friends. We sing carols. I do, you know, audition new material that I can't quite play yet. I I picked up guitar during COVID and Uh have been trying to learn to play it. And I'm better now, but still not exactly touring caliber by myself. Um. I've been playing but guitar I have... since I was 14. Oh my god. And and I still don't consider myself a guitar player. I, I own guitars <laughs> and I can play guitar, but I'm not a guitar player. You know, well, I think I... you got some edge on me probably. I well, I, can... I could use a few more years here, but um I am playing shows from home, uh sometimes with friends, sometimes alone. Uh Patreon backers always get informed of that and I usually have a show up um uh, about every other month, uh, I play one, and the tickets for that are always on Bandcamp. It's a really good experience, live streaming shows on Bandcamp, incidentally. I like doing it there. Well, a lot of people learned about that during COVID-19. For sure, yeah. That's how yeah. a lot of my my musician yep. friends were able to stay alive. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, absolutely. And and stay sane, too, because honestly, not playing... I used to play, you know, 100 shows a year, and now right. it's now things have changed, both because of COVID and just because I got older. <laughs> like I said, I'm 40 now, and 100 <laughs> shows a year is not quite my lower back speed anymore. Um, but uh, but things are coming. Things are coming back. Starting with, I need to make a new record, and then I yeah. want to do some more shows. But record first, so that's sort of the stage that I'm at right now. But please go look up the songs. I hope that you find one that speaks to you or one that sticks with you. There's a lot of different kinds of stuff there. All you got to listen and you got to listen to your song with different ears. Sometimes you got, cause there's, there's your songs are multi-layered sometimes. They, yes. They're definitely lots of layers. Definitely a lot of words too. Yeah. I have most of my lyrics up on Bandcamp too, which makes it easier to listen to, I think, cause they're pretty lyrics heavy. I'm a, I'm a wordy, wordy son of a bitch. So. <laughs> Marion, thank you so much. And thank you for, uh, you've given me a list when we first met through Meg Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, you sent me a list of other artists to contact and, and breaking the nut of Alaska. I owe some of that to you. Uh, I really do. And, oh, and, I cannot hype up another other Alaskan artists enough. Like I am so proud of the music Alaskans are making and uh-huh. I am going to spend the rest of my career doing everything I can to elevate the music that other Alaskan artists are making. I think all of season two is going to be people that I learned about through you and Meg. So <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, excellent. Excellent. Very well. And once again, Bandcamp, you're not on social media, but you will be because that's the best way to promote that you get a live concert coming up. On oh, Bandcamp. yeah. My Facebook page. My Facebook page is rarely active, but when it is, it's important stuff. Um, and go. this podcast will be going out on it for sure. And, you, and can, uh, you, yeah. you can buy your library where again? on Band, Bandcamp. Is Bandcamp. The whole library okay. is at okay. Bandcamp. You can, buy, you can buy some of the like lead studio records everywhere, uh-huh. but uh, Bandcamp is the place to find all the good stuff, including some of the special secrets like 
Uh, I have some what Carol King and James Taylor covers, and I have some uh, wow. a whole bunch of like comedy songs that are more specialized. I like uh, there's one called the Liberal Arts Degree Waltz that I'm incredibly proud of. Um, <laughs> and <love> the title, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> All that good stuff is a band camp. Awesome. Uh, that's well, from the fun singles in your area, which is one of my EPs. <laughs> well, Marion, thank you again so much. And that wraps up our week in Alaska. We'll be back next year in Alaska. But next week, we're going to head down to Arizona. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America. 